Mac Power Users, Episode 236, Managing Digital Finances. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm happy to be back on mic and, uh, and talking with you. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we haven't done a show, just the two of us, for a while. It seems like sometimes it has been a while, but... Uh, and uh, this is a this is a topic that we, we've kind of come around to just out of out of necessity to talk about, you know, staying safe out there online, particularly when it pertains to um, your money and your digital finances, because I know you've written about how you've been the victim of data breaches this year. I've been the victim of data breaches this year. Probably most of our listeners have in some form or another had their personal information, uh, whether it be credit cards or otherwise leaked out this year. Um, in fact, funny timing of the show. Uh, just today, I got a call from the, I'm using air quotes, internal revenue service telling me that if I didn't call them back, I would be in big trouble. You know, speaking of timely, I was in uh, I was in court today. And you know what? Lately, the day job has been like hellish for me. And I'm, I was so happy to be going home, talking with Katie Floyd, doing some geeky stuff. Man, I, you know, people write in to thank us for doing the show. I, thank you for listening because I, if I didn't have the show, I would go crazy. But so I'm at court. I need gas. I go in, right. And you know, I pay off my credit card every month. I don't run it up a lot, but I use it to buy gas. I get my points back. Right. Burr, 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 burr. Uh, I scan it. Guess what happens? Uh-oh. Decline. Mm, Decline. You got you got caught. And I'm like, what is going on here? You know, it's paid off, right? And and of course, I'm thinking about the show today as well. Right? I go into the place, they scan it in there. Decline. I I get, I get home and um, I call them up, and now I'm getting another credit card. Oh, how many is that for you this? Well, I know this I, year is brand new, I, but I've actually lost track. I think I think it's five at this point. Mm. Uh, so I, I guess this is timely. And and just last night I bought my, my wife's uh, blog. I just paid for another year for it, you know, on the, um, on Squarespace. And of course they, they were going to shut her down because the credit card on it was no longer active because the one that I put in like three months ago has already been replaced. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm on a list or something and every new credit card I get gets breached. And I don't even know how it's happening because I barely... I don't know, whatever. So well, you know, anyway, this maybe is a timely we can help show. You with that. This is a timely show. Uh, so, and we've been talking about a little bit on the live shows and we've got so much feedback. We've been collecting it into the Mac power users feedback bin for years. And there's a lot of listeners out there that say, Hey, I've got, I've got the solution. I've got it figured out. And, and most, but most people write and say, I have no clue. Everything I try isn't really good enough for me. And that's why we have the live show. So if there's something you really love that we don't cover, we don't cover to your satisfaction. Send in an audio comment. We may include it. But, yeah, and, um, and I can tell you right now, we're not going to cover the money management part to your satisfaction. So in, instead of writing in with your disappointment that we didn't cover XYZ, uh, send us an audio comment about your app of choice. Yeah. Uh, but but it is kind of an interesting time. And I think it's kind of the issue of Apple Pay exists now, which it didn't before. And there's a whole bunch of other there's really a looming war for your digital transactions that we're going to see here in the next year or two, uh, which got me interested in this stuff. And there's also the issue that we get from listeners all the time saying, which application should I use to manage all this stuff? And now we've got iOS apps versus Mac apps. 
And then this, there's these piles of loyalty cards and all these other things we're getting. So we started looking at it and we decided, you know what, there's a show here. We've got, we've got enough material here. We're going to do a whole show on it. So here we are after many years of uh, veiled promises and threats, we're going to do a show on money management and digital finances. Yeah. So uh, where do we start, Katie? I think we start with the most recent news and that's Apple Pay. Right. And this honestly is one of the biggest stories, I think, of 2014 for Apple and continuing into 2015. And it's a story that really hasn't had a chance to unfold, I think, to its full potential. But Apple Pay is perhaps one of the most important things, I think, that Apple has done um, that that has the potential to have great lasting effects um, you know, for for years and years to come on the way that that we do business, on the way that we conduct commerce, both uh, in the U.S. and abroad as well. Because I know their Apple Pay is rolling out primarily in the U.S. now, but it's it's also rolling out abroad slowly. But Apple Pay is so important for a number of reasons. Um, first is that, you know, Apple's got clout, right? I mean, Apple was the company that really gave us digital downloads of music and said, we're going to do this and this is the way that we're going to do it because this is the right way to do it. And then all of a sudden, digital downloads became a thing and other people got on board. But Apple has the clout to all of a sudden get Apple Pay into the hands of millions and millions and millions of people because they sell millions and millions and millions of iPhones. And, and we'll find out how many they've sold, I think, pretty shortly or, or have the, the quarterly numbers already been released. But already, immediately, you've got iPhone 6s in the hands of millions and millions and millions. Uh, so people already uh, have... And, the, and just let me say, Katie Floyd, that's a lot of millions. That's a lot of millions. But it is a Million, lot of millions. So that's three, right? Millions three, and millions. millions and millions and millions, quadrillions, okay. lots of people. Wow. Um, no, Yeah. And so already you've got this great reach right out of the gate that will only continue to expand. Um, and, and then Apple has the ability to negotiate these deals um, that they want with the banks. And right now you're already starting to see uh, digital transactions from Apple Pay starting to make up, even though it's only 1% or a half a percent or low percentage-wise, significant portions of commerce already, even given its, its, low launch, uh, its, its relatively recent launch. So. Okay, so so let's talk about the basics of it a little bit. Um, yeah. So there are different you know methods to pay for stuff, like the credit cards that I keep having <laughs> getting ripped off or whatever's happening to them. Yeah, apparently uh, that's not working well. I guess you know, and it's funny for me. It always ends up like one time it was in Spain, another time it was in France. I I, I don't know. Something's going on over there in Europe. I wonder if you know Mike or somebody over there is is behind this. Maybe it's Federico. I'm Must not be. sure. But the uh, either way, uh, so you've got that. That's the traditional method, and a credit card company is sort of an intermediary. And all the bankers listening are are just cringing right now as I talk about it. But in essence, and I can simplify this for the sake of our podcast, uh, when you use a credit card, uh, they charge a fee to the consumer, and the um, I'm sorry, my phone to rang while I was talking. Did you yeah. hear that? No, I didn't. Okay. Anyway, uh, so in essence, the um, the 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 vendor or you know whoever you're let's say you go to target or home depot they pay a slight percentage of the credit card company credit card company in essence finances the transaction and you're paying interest if you don't pay your bill off and right. so they're working both ends and you know that's kind of this traditional model that's always worked and what apple did was they said we are not going to get in the middle of that we are not going to try and become a credit card company that's taking the the large percentage that credit card companies do we're not going to try and replace visa uh what we're going to do is just work with them and let them use their their accounts with our technologies 
And I think that was pretty clever from Apple in the sense that it made it very easy to use the, you know, use the technology in a lot of places. And most people already have a Visa or a MasterCard or American Express account, which are all included. So it's very easy to have an Apple Pay account on your Apple device already. Right. And, and they what, started with some pretty big banks. I, I, I was pleasantly surprised um, that both of my banks, which are, which are big banks, all had already signed up for Apple Pay and were available on day one. And a lot of the smaller banks are starting to roll out slowly but surely as well. Yeah. So, um, and then what Apple says is we've got this secure enclave. And that sounds that sounds kind of cool, you know, secure enclave. I mean, that sounds to me like a place that a lot of people hide with like machine guns and hand grenades and stuff. But it, a what, very, what it very really, small place. What, but what it really is, is it, it's a it's a section of the silicon. It's on the chip inside the iPhone. And it started with, I believe, the iPhone 5S, if memory serves, when that first showed up. And basically, um, they're not storing the, the the actual account details in software. They're, in, they're storing it, in essence, in hardware on the chip, which makes it a lot harder for the bad guys to get it and, you know, for software to break into it. Another example of that is the Touch ID data, you know, your fingerprint. When you go to unlock 1Password, one 1Password one isn't actually getting your your thumbprint. All it's doing is going to the secure enclave and says, hey, is this Dave's thumbprint? And, and the chip returns a yes or a no. Well, they're kind of doing that with Apple Pay, too. So uh, they bring a little bit better layer of privacy. And speaking of Touch ID, they also be the, uh, add the ability to verify that it's Dave holding the phone when the transaction is taking place. And then I guess most importantly for me, uh, based on my recent events, is that it creates a separate number every time I use it. So if I go to Panera Bread and order tea, and I use my Apple Pay, it generates a one-time number, and that is authorization for the payment, and everything works just fine. And then the next time I go, it would be a different number. So if the person at Panera got that that one-time number, they can't go to Spain and buy gas and turn my life upside down again. Right, because one, what you do is you have to initially associate your card with Apple Pay in the phone. And there's a way that you can do that within settings. And each card processor or each bank is a little bit different in the way that they require it. Um, I bank with Bank of America. And I know initially when they were setting it up, um, that required a phone call. I think they have since updated their app so that you can do some of this through the app. But the way that you associate your card with Apple Pay, again, is going to vary a little bit differently from bank to bank or provider to provider. Uh, But once your card is associated with Apple Pay, then yes, everything you said works the same. You press the button, um, touch ID on your phone, and you hold it next to one of these special uh, enabled uh, NFC terminals that is designed to accept Apple Pay, um, and a transaction has been completed. If you've got multiple cards stored within Apple Pay, then you can select which card you want to be your default card, whether it's a debit card or credit card or this specific credit card. Um, and unless you select an alternate card, then that card's going to be the one that's, that's used for default. Um, and I think the... Probably one of the biggest things from a security standpoint, just as you said, David, is that unique card that is that is randomly generated because that 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 number is then immediately useless. You've used it, you've paid, it's been verified, and if that company gets hacked or breached, doesn't matter because that card number is never going to be used again. However, and I've had this happen, I did have to return um, some stuff that I'd bought with Apple Pay, so there there is some kind of look back or some way to associate that. Uh, with your actual card number and the 
the transaction that I made was able to get back to my account, but I did notice that it took a few days longer than it typically would. But if that's all it is, that's a small price to pay. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's other issues with that, which I'm going to come back to in just a minute. But the, um, you know, the Apple, you know, you were talking about how you can choose between multiple cards if you have multiple cards associated. Um, Apple's been taking a beating lately about some of their software problems. But, you know, what, they still really understand user user interface and the system itself works great. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this saying, yeah, 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 I've done this. You don't need to explain it. But if you haven't, you take out your phone and if they've got an NFC unit there, you, if you hold your phone with your thumb over the power button, touch that's a, yeah, that, well, yeah, same thing. It's, it's a, that's about it. I mean, I just can't get over how fast it is. I've, done it several times now because i go to panera often for uh, business meetings it's it's close to my work and it's kind of a nice convenient place for people to meet and i just can't get over how fast the payment method is um and you know and then then, then there's the nfc element to it so we've apple's covered the the side of it saying we're going to associate credit cards and let them just use our system um but that still also requires the merchant to have these nfc receivers in their place of business in America, at least, that is not as you know deep as we would like it to be. But I understand that's getting better. Um, you know, some vendors have them. Some vendors have them and turn them off because they're interested in doing something else and they don't want to use Apple Pay. So it's it's still got a little ways to go in terms of being kind of everywhere. Yeah. And you know, like they they talked to them when they announced it, it was that they said Disney Walt Disney World, and I I got the impression Disneyland as well, but we don't have them at Disneyland yet. And I think one of the reasons at Disney World they've got they've already got NFC everywhere because they've got those uh, magic bands there, right? Uh, uh, but whereas Disneyland doesn't have that technology. So it, I'm it, sorry it, are you, are you acknowledging that Disney World may be superior to Disneyland in some respect? No, not at all. Okay, I'm Not just checking all. there. Maybe we should do uh, like an After Dark or just like a separate episode on like just a Disney Smackdown. Because I, I would completely take you down. <laughs> I don't really care that much, honestly. See, exactly. So <laughs> um, the uh, NFC is funny because I was on Adam Christensen's show like two or three months before they announced the new phones. Or I don't, you know, it was like in that neighborhood and he had a wheel he was spinning and he'd ask you if you thought it was going to be on the new phone. And it was like a spinning wheel, you know, like a game show. And NFC was mine that came up and I, I said, no, of course not. It'll never be in there. Apple will never do NFC, you know, because of so many years they hadn't done it. And, you know, Mr. Dingbat was completely wrong. So, so I think Apple Pay is really a great technology. I hope that it gets wide adoption, or even if it's not Apple Pay, if something else gets wide adoption where I can have one-time numbers and very easily use it from my phone, I'm very interested in that because I think that solves a big problem for me. Yeah. The the other big benefit to Apple Pay, and I know we've been rambling on about Apple Pay for a while, um, is the privacy implications for Apple Pay, uh, especially when contrasted with some of the alternative services out there. Um, and, and I'll pick on CVS for a minute because I just went there last night to, to pick up something last minute. And especially if you're a member of their loyalty program, I, I bought one thing. I mean, my receipt should have been about three inches long. And out of the cash register comes this, you know, four foot long, you know, receipt with 
with coupons and barcodes and, you know, things to scan and and all of this other garbage. It was just an absolute mess. And the reality is, is that especially if you're a member of some of these loyalty cards, which we'll talk about a little later, um, these merchants like to track you. They are in the business of having as much information about you as possible. They want to know who you are. They want to know what you purchased. And honestly, these merchants are getting into trouble because some of them uh, are tracking you by your credit card number. You know, for your convenience, we're going to keep track of all your purchases on your credit card because it will help you return things. Um, you know, I was at Target the other day and, and didn't have a receipt for something. And they said, oh, well, if you have the credit card that you put it in, uh, we'll be able to return that for you. And I thought, why are you keeping track of my credit card in in your system? Oh, it's for your convenience. I thought, really? How'd that work out for you? Um, but with Apple pay, it's, it's privacy is a big factor for them. You know, it's not going to work if you have Apple pay, uh, because Apple with Apple pay, neither Apple nor the merchants knows who you are or what you bought or any information to track you. All they know is that the transaction was authorized. Boom. And that's in my book, all they need to know, but well, the merchants and, and may not care. There's a so solution much for that. There's and, a solution. There is, I mean, yeah, all you have to do is say, okay, um, you have a loyalty card and it may be tied to your telephone number or some other pin or whatever. And if, yeah. if they want to ask you for that and you you choose to give it to them, that'd be great. Uh, you know, like Home Depot was one that was really good at using my credit card to keep track of all my purchases. And they're one of the reasons, you know, they're one of my, you know, my murder's row of five credit cards in the last 24, uh, 24 months. Uh, you, you know, there's a funny article I'm going to put the link in the show notes that, that when Home Depot had that big security breach, they ended up blaming Windows and they, they put all their executives on iPhones and MacBooks. You Interesting. Know I did not know that. Definitely put if, that link in the show. I wonder if they bought one password for everybody. They definitely should have. For their people. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, so we have this Apple Pay all of a sudden. And so why isn't everybody just jumping on Apple Pay? And I'm going to just jump down the outline a little bit because I think this probably makes sense to talk about now. Um, there's other payment schemes. You know, there's this digital payment. Everybody understands that, you know, we've all had enough with getting new credit cards every three months. And we need to figure out what the heck. Oops. We need to figure out what the heck is going on. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so and so what's another way to do it? Well, the vendors going back to the beginning of this conversation, the vendors are tired of paying the percentage to the credit card companies. They would much rather that you pay with your debit card where it just takes the money directly out of your account. And, you know, they're thank you very much. There's no money to Visa, MasterCard, Amex or anybody else. And I can understand why they want to do that. That's, you know, one or two percentage points could make a big difference for their bottom line. But uh, so they've come up with their own payment scheme called Current C, uh, Current with the capital C at the end. And and the whole idea there is we're going to hook up all our customers so we just know their their ATM card or their, you know, their debit card. And we're going to keep that for them. And then we can track the customer data because we've got one number and, um, and then we don't have to pay credit card companies because there's no credit card involved. And uh, I can see why they would want that because it solves their problems, which are tracking customer and cutting out those extra expenses. I don't see it. And I'm sure I'm going to get emails telling me what a fanboy I am, but I just don't see that that really is that beneficial to me as a consumer. I've seen how merchants handle my credit card information and I would rather that they not keep my credit card information or, or, um, or, you know, debit card information. And the mechanics of it are not going to be as easy as Apple pay right now. The, the going explanation is you're going to have to open up an app. It's going to present a barcode or a QR code. And then the, the merchant is going to have to scan your phone. 
it, it's just not as simple as pulling your phone out of your pocket, putting your, your thumb on the, on the uh, touch ID button and paying essentially. So it, it's going to be interesting next year to see what happens. I think some of these merchants are going to intentionally not enable Apple pay to try and push you into currency or whatever it is that they end up shipping. And, um, it will be interesting to see what consumers put up with and don't put up with. But well, and I, um, my understanding is that currency also offers some additional tracking options for the merchant. Yeah, of course, because they've got you know one number to rule them all. Right. Um, so it, it, you know, we I don't have all the answers. Um, I I would prefer something that generates a random number and it's easy for me, and I don't really care about helping the merchants out. So yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Are Are you using Apple Pay? Much? All the time. Well, yeah. all the time to the extent that it's available. I mean, yeah. I, I'm actively searching out gas stations now that will take Apple Pay because I think my my last credit, the last two times I've had credit card reported problems, it seems to me like it might be gas station related, but that that could be just me um, cooking up rumors. I don't know. But I, I want to find places that will take Apple Pay and I will I will um, go there before I will go places that don't. Yeah, I Unfortunately, I have not been able to use it at many places. I, I've, I a few places, and whenever I can, I always do. Um, but I, I think you tend to get things a little bit more frequently on the on the West Coast than we do over here on the East Coast, as, especially not being in as, as large of an area as you are there. Um, yeah. So I've probably used it about a half dozen times since it came out, but it's it's always magical when I do. Well, I, I look for excuses to use it, but I don't want to use it so badly that I'm willing to go to McDonald's. Right. That's kind of in the same boat that I am. But um, um, but we did just get a Panera near my office, so we'll see. It's great. Yeah. It's great. They got good, yeah. they got good stuff there. Yeah. Um, uh, issues with Apple Pay. Um, uh, I haven't – when it first came out, once in a while I had a couple um, people, you know, cashiers that didn't really know what, what I was talking about. Yeah, but I had that I come up. I haven't seen any more. When it first – issued went out there were a couple issues where it was double uh double charging i think bank of america was the the bank that had that issue for like a couple days yeah thankfully uh, did not impact me yeah and and i haven't heard anything i i think it's generally under control now and it, and it generally works uh the big problem is there's just not enough places that you can use it right and and that will change with time i think it is going to roll out and Honestly, I'm a little bit optimistic, too, about current C. And, and hear me out for this, because a lot of uh, places signed on to this current C consortium and I think didn't quite understand what they were getting involved in. And all of a sudden, Apple Pay has become very popular. There's been a little bit of blowback about current C as a result of people preferring Apple Pay to it. And I think you're going to see some merchants when their contracts with currency are over saying, hey, we've already got this uh, hardware in place. Let's let's start accepting Apple Pay. Yeah, and I I don't care if currency gets legs. I just hope that they continue to support Apple Pay as well. Yeah, some some of these contracts I think have exclusivity provisions, but once those are out of the way, I mean, get let's get this hardware in place and, and let's just start doing it. Like in California, my beloved Pete's Coffee and Tea. Do you have Pete's in in Florida? Uh, we don't. I've seen it in a couple of airports, uh, but well, see, yeah. that's just one more reason I couldn't live in Florida. But the um, but Pete's um, they have Google Pay, you know, and I forget what the exact uh, nomenclature Google has for their pay system. But so they've got 
NFC machines that say Google Pay all over them in their shops. It doesn't say Apple Pay, but it takes Apple Pay. If I just hold it the Apple Pay, it pays. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's enough on that. Let, let's talk about a sponsor and get on with some of these other things on this important show on managing our digital finances. <laughs> yeah, and I promise we won't quite take that long on some of these other sections. But uh, but Apple Pay is important. But also important is Gazelle. And this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Gazelle. It's the fast and simple way to sell your used gadgets. And, you know, David and I are both big fans of Gazelle, and you can be too. You can go find out what your used iPhone, iPad, and other Apple products are worth over at gazelle.com. And Gazelle has something new now. You know, you've always wondered, at least I have, what do they do with all of that stuff that they buy? Well, now you can buy certified pre-owned iPhones, Samsung Galaxy phones, and iPads directly from Gazelle. So if you've lost or broken your phone and you're not quite sure that you want to pay an arm and a leg for one that's off contract, uh, you can go get a certified pre-owned phone uh, that is a great alternative to buying a low uh, to buying a full cost device. You can buy a low cost replacement device. Um, and if you've got a device that you want to get rid of, that Gazelle is still, as always, offering you great deals on trade-ins for your old devices. So head over to Gazelle.com and you can see what's available either in their certified pre-owned uh, section or to see what they want. For what you can get for your phone. So if you want to buy something from Gazelle, um, devices are available in two conditions. There are certified like new devices and certified good devices. Uh, if you get a good condition device, they may show some signs of wear, um, but they give you a little bit more savings. It's a, it's a great device at a great price. Um, all of their devices are put through a rigorous 30-point inspection to ensure that they're fully functional. You can also get a certified like new phone. Uh, hopefully some of mine were like that, the ones that I sent them, because I really take pride in sending them good stuff. Um, and all of their certified pre-owned devices are backed by a 30-day risk-free return policy. In fact, I think I told you that one of my law partners got a certified pre-owned device from Gazelle for his wife for Christmas. And I saw her at an event this past weekend, uh, and she was telling me her about her brand new iPad. And I said, oh, yes, I saw was saw him when he bought that. It's a great iPad. Um, I, I don't know that she knows, and I wasn't going to tell her. Um, but if you decide to trade your stuff into Gazelle, you can get paid with cash, and they'll pay you fast, uh, generally within just a day or two of you sending in your item. Uh, it's risk-free. You can see what they'll offer you. You can lock in your quote for 30 days. Um, and Gazelle will also wipe your data off of your device. I've sent them devices. I know David sent them devices. And they'll even send you a box to ship your device back to them. It's absolutely no hassle. So go check them out at gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, whether you're buying or selling. Uh, and go find out what your device is worth. Thanks, Gazelle, for your support of the show. Sounds like a, a business opportunity. you got to, like, sell boxes that look something like an Apple box. I've, so when somebody I've got boxes. Device, I've got boxes here in my closet. I'll start you, selling the actual boxes. You'd also have to sell that pre-cut, you know, little plastic sheeting that always comes on your baby Apple device. Now you you, ju you just say I've I've already set it up for you. Okay, well, that's, you, that's why it's that, open. You had an answer to that pretty quickly, Katie Floyd. No, not, I, not I'm not a little from, nervous now. Not from personal experience. <laughs> Damn. So was that SSD that you put in your dad's computer for real, <laughs> or was that Gazelle? No. Um, <laughs> All right, let's let's move on and talk about Passbook. Passbook. Okay, so a Passbook is the precursor to Apple Pay, and that's something that Apple came up with as an app on your phone. And you know, Passbook is where you find Apple Pay these days. So if you go in there, but um, it stores passes, which uh, like are airplane tickets, gift cards, and coupons. 
Um, and it never really took off the way uh, we all kind of hoped it would. Well, I, I think there was a lot of confusion about what exactly it was and what exactly it was going to be. And I think there still is a lot of confusion. And I think even Apple's a little confused about it, too. Yeah, well, you know, and, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why when they got to Apple Pay, they said, OK, guys, we're just going to partner with Visa, MasterCard, Amex and and work with their their accounts, because Passbook was the idea where you would you wouldn't have to use like a Visa card. It would be a separate pass. And I think probably the most popular uh, implementation of Passbook, at least that I'm aware of in my world, is is the Starbucks app. And yes. the Starbucks app does a great job. You can recharge your account. When you walk by Starbucks, it shows up on your phone, says, hey, you want to use your Starbucks gift card and Passbook to buy yourself a, a latte? I get so confused. There's like, so the smallest one is called Tall. Right. So who, how did that happen? Because what would you rather have, a tall or a small? I don't know. I just know that their tea isn't as good as Pete's. And when I say a small one, they say, so you want a tall one. Yes. And it, it just, it, it flummoxes me every time. But okay. So either way, so Starbucks is a great example of it. Uh, airline tickets is another one where, and we talked about this on our travel shows uh, that both of us, at least I, I know I do, I'm willing to stick my neck out there. I always put my tickets on my phone and passbook. And I feel like, you know, I feel like such a boss when I go up to the airline and just show them my phone and they zap it and I get on the plane. That's great. Yeah. Now the the way that those show up, David, is they can they can usually be queued one of two ways. Um, passes are, are designed that they can either pop up based on a location, or they can pop up based on a, a date and time. So in either uh, the case of a ticket, like an airline ticket, it could be either. It could be when you get to the airport, or when you get to a specific gate or a terminal. It could be triggered by location or an eye beacon or something like that. Or it could also be triggered by a date and time because it knows that your flight takes off at a certain time. And so that's when it knows to trigger it and put it on your home screen. And usually you'll see a little icon for it at the bottom of your, or excuse me, at the bottom of your lock screen. Now, the Starbucks example that you were talking about, um, in the Starbucks app, you can you can trigger your favorite stores. And so um, you can say, all right, I, I want, I typically visit this store, this store, and this store. And so when you get near a Starbucks store, one of those particular stores, then you'll see the little icon at the bottom of your lock screen saying, hi, I'm here. You want, you want to go to Starbucks? Want to, want to pay with your card? Yeah. And, and Passbook, I want to keep the show to digital finances and, you know, under four hours, but you know, the, the idea of Passbook in terms of digital finances is like the Starbucks example. Um, I think I, I've seen theoretically people using it with Apple gift cards as well to go into an Apple store, but yeah. I've never actually done that myself. So I think that's possible. It is. It uh, is um, also but, with iTunes gift cards. Yeah. So you can, you can do things with it that way, but because it's, you know, Apple is really an intermediary and you have to make the purchase in some other mean. And also it's very confusing for people. The fact that they have to have the third party app, like the Starbucks doesn't just work in Passbook. You have to download the Starbucks application. And even though you're not loading the Starbucks application to make it work, it, you actually need to have it installed on your device. So, yeah. And, and that's the thing about passes is that in order for a pass to be in Passbook, it, it has to be a specific format. And so passes can come a couple of ways. You can either get a passbook, the, probably the most common way that you're talking about, David, is to get a passbook associated with an app, like the Starbucks app or the Delta app or, or whatever. Um, but you may have also seen, I know Dave Hamilton did this last year with Cirque du Mac. You can also get a passbook um, generated um, either by um, through a website, through a web link, by mail or messages. But it has to create a special passbook format pass for you. 
And there, there are certain websites that will do that, uh, websites that do ticketing and things like that. So, you know, you didn't have a specific Cirque de Mac app on your phone, but the whatever ticketing service that Dave used to generate the Cirque de Mac tickets, it was passbook optimized. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I, I would like to see it get better. I think there's kind of a um, there's a learning curve there that for people who don't listen to Mac Power users may be insurmountable. Yeah, there, have to see. there are a lot of limitations with it because, again, the, the passes have to be the specific format. Um, the apps are still very limited. I mean, we're like two years out now. Or wasn't that iOS 6? That, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, and you're yeah. you're limited, although I'll talk about a little bit of a workaround. Uh, you're limited. You can't just add your own cards. You know, so if I go down to, you know, the deli and they give me a, a, a loyalty card, I can't just add that to Passbook and, you know, unless they've gone to their own trouble to make it a Passbook optimized loyalty card. So it's, yeah, it's really the, not a true digital wallet yet. And and that's something I thought Passbook was going to solve when it first showed up and it, it never really delivered on that. And is this one of those things where Apple has said, yeah, you know, we're going to be doing Apple Pay and this is going on the back burner or is it something they have big plans for? I guess only time will tell. Yeah, um, I kind of feel it, like it's one of those things they just threw out there and nothing really happened yet. Well, you know, or maybe, you know, I it's so hard, you know, who the heck knows what's going on inside and Apple, but the, um, it would seem to me that, you know, they put it out there thinking maybe this will take off and it really didn't. And then they said, okay, let's, you know, attempt two is going to be, going to be Apple pay where we're using Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and kind of just plugging into the existing system. And I think fr- frankly, going back to currency, I think that's their big challenge is they're trying to get people to pay through another means and, and nobody wants to do that. I mean, I, the idea of, um, you know, credit card fraud is bad enough. Getting my credit card and being able to try and charge things that I'm not buying, but getting access to my debit account, that to me is even, it feels to me like a level worse. So I think they're going to have some, some pushback from consumers. Um, moving on though, there's another way you can pay with your iPhone. And well, actually there's a couple, but one of them that uh, I did, and it sounds kind of dirty is you bump somebody with PayPal. Have you ever done that? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, it's, it's really not a bad idea if you, and it's, maybe that's a California thing, you know? So if you've got money in your PayPal account and you've got the PayPal app, you can send money to a friend. And I, I've done it a few times where we like go out to dinner or something and somebody says, okay, let's split the bill and, you know, I'll pay on my credit card and then they'll bump me some money to kind of give me my half back. Um, so, or their half back and, and that works. Okay. I've, I've, I don't use it frequently because it's kind of an odd thing. I think if I lived in San Francisco, I'd do it more. I think people up there are more willing to try this stuff. Yeah. Now tell me about that. You, you and I go out to dinner and we need to split the bill, but I don't, I don't have cash on me. And, you know, sometimes restaurants are like, no, we'll only put it on one card. We won't, we won't split it for you. Uh, am I going to incur, you know, PayPal charges fees for things like that. So if you put the bill on your credit card and then I've got to pay you half of it, Am I going to in charge? I'm going to incur fees for that. I don't think I did, and I I don't have. It's been so long that I don't have a way to check without. Uh, you know, what, next time we get together, Katie Floyd, I'm going to bump you some money. We're going to go out to dinner, get a pizza. Okay, maybe. all right. Go get a sandwich. What, what's that place you like again? This the a, ham sandwich. The deli. Yeah. The deli. We'll go to the deli together. And I'll okay. bump you some money. All right. But the uh, I don't think they charge for sharing among friends. That's my recollection. Okay. Um, and you know it's a good idea. I mean, and a lot of people have money in PayPal, so it's kind of a really convenient way to send money among friends. And you know, people don't carry as much cash as they used to, so it's it's a good idea. Now I know, having said the word PayPal, 
that I just uh, sent in half, a lot of our half listeners. the listeners just turned off the podcast. Yeah, they have um, you know what what is that disease where you like spontaneously vomit? I forget the name of it. It's like um, there's I, a name for it. I, I don't know. I think a lot of people that triggers that in them when you say PayPal. So maybe you know you don't like that, but uh, if if you're okay with PayPal, that's one way to send money among friends. Um, another one is, you know, kind of pay, uh, the, the PayPal competitor on the phone is the Square app. Yeah, they've got one called, I think, Square Cash, which is specifically for for sending money through friends. It's pretty easy. I, I've never yeah. used it, though. Yeah, I have not used I've used Square to collect money off credit cards. You know, we, we did it. We got one and we used it for we did a little thing for the community and blah, blah, blah. And people wanted to pay with credit cards. So I just did that and then transferred it over. And that worked great. Um, and and I guess this this does really relate to what we're talking about is, you know, Square's got a great you know idea where it, it costs a lot of money to set up one of these payment processing devices where you can accept a credit card and square just accept a percentage you can use it with your existing phone they they give you a little reader that you plug into the headphone jack and they also have like register units that attach to ipads and like i know there's a local vendor that i go to quite often that has one of those so you know that's a real option for people but it, you know it's kind of beyond the scope of our show but uh, the the flip side of this the merchant side there's some interesting technologies out there that are apple related as well well, and if if you are in a position where where you sometimes need to take little payments and you need to take them by credit cards, those are those are great ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. Even just selling, you know, if you're just selling little things at the swap meet or whatever, it's uh, it's not a bad idea. It gives you the option, and they they do charge a fee. And I don't know how it is in relation to the more traditional credit card processors, but I do know the setup cost is is nil. Yeah. All right. So that's that's passbook and um and bumping and what what is square called there? Do so they call it anything fancy? They probably do, but I don't know what it is. So like swooshing or swooshing yeah. or something. Square square up, something like that. Square up. Okay. They it's not it's not, it's not squirting. Like Zoom. Zoom was <laughs> Zoom was squirting. That was really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna miss Steve Ballmer. <laughs> okay. Um and and so, and and then we've got uh, the the constant battle to shrink our wallet. That that could take a while, though. So you want to yeah. you want to take a minute before we do? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that and talk about our next uh, our next sponsor, and that is MindNode. So we've talked about uh, different ways of planning projects and planning ideas before, and I keep talk, talking about how much I love mind mapping. And I know there's a lot of you out there just like me because I get your emails and you tell me, Dave, thanks for turning me on to mind mapping because I'm like you, um, and uh, having the ability to move things around visually helps me think better. And uh, the application I've been using for this for some time now is MindNote. And it, it's a great app because it's not real expensive to get into it. And they've got a fantastic version for the iPhone, iPad, and Mac. So you're on all platforms. They take full advantage of iCloud. So when I start a MindNote on one device, it just shows up on the next one. And to me, that's real critical for mind mapping because the way I mind map is in little spurts. You know, I get not a squirt, but a spurt. Big difference. And yeah. So I, I, you know, uh, something comes to me like, you know, I'm working on this big project I keep alluding to at work and, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, that should be in the opening statement. And I, I literally open up my mind node, just 
tap in a few words and then turn it off and go back to bed. And the next morning it's on all my devices. It just syncs across. And this is a, a really great workflow for doing that stuff. And, and so that's what my node brings. It brings a really simple interface that just magically works across all devices. Now it's still a powerful mind mapper. It's still got great keyboard shortcuts. It's still got the ability to link nodes and even link entire my nodes to one another. Um, you can jot down your thoughts and add as many mind maps as you like, and it has an infinite canvas, so it'll grow as big as you need it or shrink down as little as you want it. And when you're done, you can share it in a lot of ways. I had a, a client come in recently, and we did this thing, and this is not unusual for me. It's a lot of times when I'm sketching out a new assignment from somebody, like making a very important contract, we'll sit down in my conference room at the office, I'll bring my iPad, and we'll just broadcast the mind note onto the tele television in the office. And I'll say, what's important to you? And we'll just start writing down the words about the different things important to this assignment. And, and then I'll start organizing them and dragging them around. And then I'll put sub points on it and I'll start, you know, setting a hierarchy to them. And, and as we talk, it's very fluid, you know, because the client is there with you, they're seeing what you're thinking. And as you add points, they may have counterpoints. And when you're done, I just hit the share button in my note and send it to them as a PDF. And it's just so effective. I mean, people love it. And also, it's a great way to convey information. Whereas if we just sit there and yak at each other and he doesn't see what I'm writing down, um, there's a big disconnect. But having that map together really makes it work. So that's a good way, a use case scenario I would use for MindNode. Uh, but but go check it out. It's not that expensive. And if you're just curious about mind mapping, this is a great application to get you started on it because it's not overwhelming. You'll be able to use it in no time at all. And let us know what you thought about it. And also let them know that you heard about it on Mac Power Users. So go check out MindNode.com. And go there to buy it. That way, when you use the link to buy it, the the developer gets a little bit of the you know the 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 kickback from you know the referral to Apple, and also you get to learn a little bit more about the application. Uh, thanks, MindNode, for supporting the show, and everybody, go check it out. So we talked about this on a on a previous show, and I, I do have a little bit of follow up on it. But the idea of you know shrinking down your wallet, and I already carry a, a pretty small and pretty minimalistic wallet. I, I tend to carry like one of those travel size wallets as my everyday wallet. And you have made it very clear that you do not carry a Costanza wallet. Yeah, I, I um, about years ago, I bought from Saddleback Leather. It's a piece of leather folded in half and sewn together. It's a just a th the thinnest possible wallet you can have, which was great. But then I got very curious the last few months about um, getting rid of that and just getting one of these cases for the iPhone that incorporates enough storage that I can do that as well. Yeah. So, but before we can get there, one of the things you got to do is you got to get rid of all these extra cards in your wallet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So big thing now is, you know, we talked about them before loyalty cards, you know, every store wants you to have a loyalty card. You know, you go to the drugstore, you got a loyalty card. You go to the other drugstore, you got another loyalty card. You go to the grocery store, you got a loyalty card. You go to the sub shop down the street, you got a loyalty card. You earn points, you earn this, you earn that. You get benefits, you get coupons, you get, you know, spam, you get whatever you get, you get from these these various loyalty cards. And, you know, part of me just, you know, wants to throw my hands up and say, you know what, I'm done. I, I don't want any of these loyalty cards anymore. But some of them do have have benefits. Yeah, when I see like uh, somebody's key ring and they've got like 30 of those little tiny versions attached to their keys, I just want to bang my head against something hard. Yeah. And I've heard some people have two wallets. They have a wallet for their important stuff and then a wallet full of loyalty cards. Yeah. 
hey, there's an app for that, Katie Floyd. There Wouldn't are, that be great? There are a couple of apps. Well, there are a couple of options for that. So the first option is that many of these stores have their own dedicated apps that you can put their loyalty cards in instead of, you know, so if you have one of those CVS cards, you can you can manage it with the CVS app. Or if you have a Target loyalty card, you can manage it with the Target app. Yeah. And, and, and and a lot of times those apps also give you coupons when you go in the store and, you know, if if you want to use them and share that kind of information, you may find that you save some money once in a while. Yeah. And and one of our Mac Power users listeners, and, and I apologize, I, I didn't write their name down to give them credit, just said, you know, I, I have a... I have a folder on my iPhone. Uh, I don't remember if she said it was on her home screen or a secondary screen that she just calls wallet that she throws all that stuff in. Yeah. So that's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. Uh, so that's an option. And and you may want to have some of these third-party apps installed, even if you – or some of these apps installed, even if you use one of these third-party apps we're about to talk about, um, just because they may give you additional benefits. But what I personally prefer to do is there are a number of third-party apps that will kind of be this all-in-one collection place for uh, loyalty cards. And uh, there are three big ones that I want to talk about. Um, the the first one is Cardstar. And that's the one that I used for years. I think it's probably been around the longest. And the way that these apps all tend to work is – um, you, you get your loyalty cards, you, you, you scan the barcode using your iPhone scanner. Uh, you open the app, you scan the barcode using your iPhone scanner, and it will match or you will tell it this is a loyalty card to, you know, CVS. Um, and then it will store that information in your iPhone. So the idea being when you go to CVS, you open up, say, the Cardstar app, you tap on the CVS icon, it will display a barcode. And the cashier will either scan the barcode off your phone or just type in the barcode off your yeah. phone. Yeah. Um, and then many of these apps also have integrations where they'll, um, you know, they'll also give you coupons or, or things like that. And and so you started with the, the old standard Cardstar. Yeah, I started with Cardstar and it will do things like it, it will store your, um, I just mainly used it to store my cards, but it will also, you know, give you things if you give it access, like it will use your location and it will pop up your cards and it will give you offers that are available if you sign up for various loyalty programs. But, you know, honestly, I didn't want all that junk, so I just turned off access to everything. Yeah, always always treading the line between creepy and helpful. Right, right. Um, but then I think you said you use a different one. Yeah, my, my wife, this is, you know, one of the apps that my wife is passionate about is Cardstar, you know, oh, okay. because she's tired of carrying all this stuff, too. So years ago, it's been years now. It's hard to believe, you know, the iPhone's been a thing for years, isn't it? But so she found this Cardstar app and transferred all the loyalty cards. And then they had a, a very simple mechanism. I, I made a separate account and she shared them with me. And uh, she's better at that stuff than I am, to tell you the truth. I Like, I know when I go to the grocery store that I type in my old phone number and I and everything works. Uh, but the uh, but she uses it all the time, this, this Cardstar app. But uh, Right, and we should I, mention I, no, that. I'm sorry, that... she uses Keyring. Oh, man, I blew it. Okay. You did blow it. It's Keyring is the one that we use. Yeah. Okay. Okay, everything I just said except substitute Keyring for Cardstar. Okay. Search and replace. Enter. Execute. Done. Everybody's okay. everybody's forgotten you said it now. Okay, keyring. 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 Yeah, it's a nice app. I mean, the interface is is good enough, and it shares the stuff across. I've never really got that excited about it. And to tell you the truth, I don't use it that often because I don't shop that much. But the uh, but it's uh, I guess it's a good app for what we do. But you found a new one. 
Yes. In fact, while researching the show, I put a, a tweet out um, to the Mac Power users listeners and said, okay, what do you use for this? And most of them came back with Cardstar. Some of them came back with Keyring. And then a few people came back with this other one called Storcard, S-T-O-R-C-A-R. I guess no D, because you know that's popular to drop letters. Well, no, it's but because it's, you really confused me. You wrote that, and then I couldn't find it. Oh, but I did find one called S T O C A R D. Oh, so that's Stowcard. That's right, Stowcard. S T O C A R D. That's right. Okay. All these funny spellings. All right, it confuses Stowcard dot com. Yes, and they've got it there. So I've been yeah. been reading about it. There'll be a link in the show notes. But yeah. um, so this is what I think I've started using since I started researching it for the show because it does everything that Cardstar and Keyring does. Okay, I mean it's it's the same premise. You you take a picture of the card and it will you know put the barcode. In, in, I mean, everybody does that, right? Yeah. But this one does a couple of other things. Um, first off, it will allow you to, in addition to putting the barcode in, it will allow you to take a picture of the actual card, which can be important sometimes because sometimes the card is going to have actual information on it. So in addition to saving the barcode, you can take a picture of the front and the back of the card. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. And if your card uses a certain type of barcode, um, and I've, I've only found a few of my cards that do, like my Lowe's card does um, and my, my AAA card does, at the bottom of it, you'll see a little option to add the card to Passbook, which isn't that where we want all this stuff anyway? Don't we want it all in one yeah. location? Yeah, totally. So if you if you have a particular type of card or it has the ability to do this, it will give you an option to add the card to passbook. So that's great. And I have found that a lot of the um, cashiers can't scan a barcode, a traditional barcode, like a UPC code or whatever it's called, um, off of my phone, but they can scan whatever those funky barcodes are that are in passbook. So if I can show them something in passbook as opposed to something in Cardstar or whatever, they're much more likely to be able to scan it. Okay, um, Katie Floyd, I'm going to I'm going to bring this to the Sparks family. Yeah. We're going we're going to have a meeting about it and uh yeah. I'm going to I'm going to recommend it. And and then of course it'll do stuff like, you know, show you coupons and and stuff like that. But uh a couple of things I'll tell you. With any of these, you want to make sure that you have some kind of backup mechanism and most of them will try to get you to sign up for their cloud service where you sync to their cloud. You have to create an account on their site and you sync to them. And you probably should just from the standpoint of you want to have your cards backed up somewhere. I mean, another option is you can scan all your cards and then securely save them to someplace like 1Password or Evernote or Dropbox. Because if you lose your phone or you erase your phone, you want to be able to to put these cards back on. Um, but, I mean, just, just keep in mind, uh, there, there are privacy concerns with these types of apps. I mean, uh, keeping in mind that there are inherent privacy concerns with loyalty programs to begin with. Now that these apps are asking you to sync your information with them for backup purposes, yeah, now, now you're sending them not only your information about one loyalty card, you're sending them all your loyalty cards information. Yeah, there was an article about some, I don't know if it was a daughter and a father or a woman and her husband, but they, like Target or somebody figured out she was pregnant based on what she was buying, but then they sent her something. And yeah, they sent her coupons for diapers or something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is Awkward. creepy. You know, when you, when you, um, when you think about how much they know about you by the stuff you buy. Yeah. So just I wonder what the stuff I buy at Target says about me. Hmm. Yeah. But the thing that I liked about Stokart is you could, I mean, I guess you could put pretty much anything in there. Yeah. So uh, if I recommend this to my family, I, I'm still in like the, um, 
on probation because of the family sharing fiasco. Um, yeah, you know what I don't know about Stowcard because I don't have this particular feature. I I don't know if you can share, like if Daisy could create all of her cards. I mean, I suppose if you created one family account, you could do that. But uh, I I don't know if don't, if you could have a Daisy account and a David account and share between Daisy if, and David. If this doesn't work, I am totally throwing you under the bus. Let's mm. just be clear. Okay. This what? Let's mark the time. I need. I might need to point to this later. Yeah. You can 51 al- minutes. You can also lock it with one password. So I like Stokart. I think it's pretty full featured, but yeah, yeah. your mileage may vary. Okay. Um, all good tips. Yeah. But the, the, the dedicated folder idea was kind of a good one with fellow shopping apps. Yeah. Um, the other thing I do is I just, I, I scan these cards to one password. Yeah, me too. That, that, that's, that was my little addition here. I like, I, I'm not sure if I'm breaking my scan snap by doing this, but I don't think I stick, so. I stick the, the card in a scan snap, push the blue button. It, it scans the front and the back of it as a PDF. And then I save it into one password as an attachment, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. You just drag it's, the attachment to one password. Exactly. Yeah. But also one tip password has, you know, like credit card type entry fields. So like the important stuff in there is the phone numbers, um, and I have what I call the wallet emergency list and, and it's kind of like a smart group. Well, it's not a smart group, but it's a manually created group. But the idea is if I'm, if I'm sitting somewhere and, and say, oh my goodness, the wallet's gone. What am I going to do? Well, I can open one password and go to that folder and it's got every card that I had in there, the emergency phone number, it's got a picture of the card so I can get any data they're going to ask me on the phone and I can, you know, disable all that stuff really quickly. Right. So you can, you basically have created a virtual reproduction of your wallet within one password. Exactly. And so that, that's really not hard to do, you know, just get a scanner or even just use like, um, the PDF pin scan plus or any app that you like to take picture. You you could take it with a camera. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking the camera in your app is, is fine. So, but just get, you know, get images of the front and the back and fill in that special, special data you need in one password and you're good. Yeah. And because and, it's in one password, people aren't going to be able to get the information. Yeah. And I would say, even though you, David, don't keep your loyalty cards in your wallet, I would say go ahead and scan them before you chuck them. Because I tend to, you know, put mine into one of these um, card programs and then chuck them. But yeah. it's just good to have a backup of those cards. Because yeah. if you lose them, typically you have to start over with your loyalty program. Not not related to money, a little bit off topic, but like insurance cards and things like that are also a good one to scan and add to one password. Yeah, uh, my I had an issue, um, and I had to call a pharmacy on the phone the other day, and they said, "Well, what's the? Uh, do you have your insurance card with you?" And I said, "Yeah, hang on a second. And I didn't, but I had one password with me, so done. Isn't it great when someone asks you for something obscure, and they're used to like they've probably asked that question in their job like four hundred times a day, and nobody ever has it, right? And you say, "Oh yeah, sure," and you open your phone, push a few buttons, or you just set your your thumb on it and it unlocks and you say, here it is. Yeah. I like that. I, I don't know. That's the, that's the nerdy part of me. I get a little bit of pleasure out of seeing them kind of shocked that I can answer their question. Okay. Um, but I right, guess, uh, I guess we should throw the disclaimer out of that. Be careful with, with scanning these cards for the purpose of lightening your wallet, because there are many instances when you still do need the physical card. Some places aren't going to accept a scan replica card. I mean, I think having the scan is a good thing, but we're not necessarily saying that having a scan card is a substitute for having a physical card. I mean, in some states, they will take scan proof of insurance. Some states won't. You know, in some some places may take your scan insurance card. Some places won't. So, And it's, it is really, really, like if you put your credit card in, in one password, it is really, really hard to slide your phone through that little skinny slot. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't uh, think the, gro- sure. the grocery store is not going to take that unless they Although take I'm Apple sh- Care Pay. I'm sure that like maybe by the iPhone like 12, it'll be that way. It'll be that thin. It'll be that thin and it'll still have a battery that dies right towards the end of the day. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, they won't be able to make it. They won't be able to make it twice as, you know, thick as a credit card just to add that extra battery. Yeah. See that kids, article um, Jason Snell and Stephen Hackett did on the Internet. I thought that was pretty good. How Apple solves for battery life. It's like it makes total sense. I mean, every iPad and iPhone, they'll make them as thin as they can to hit a certain target battery life. Yeah, I think I've heard them talk about that. I didn't know they wrote an article yeah. about it. Off to look. Yeah, it's so smart. Um, OK, uh, where are we at? Well, so we, so the whole, the whole purpose, yeah, the whole purpose about talking all of this is so you could lighten enough your wallet enough so that we could get it into a, an iPhone wallet case. Yeah. I I talked about, um, I think on a recent live uh, show, but I bought the 12 South surface pad for the iPhone six, which is a cool little case. I don't want to spend a lot of time. It's I've covered it recently, but it it sticks to the back and it folds over the top and it holds two cards. Right. And it's very minimal and it's attractive and, you know, 12 South, everything they make is always really kind of high quality. So it's great. Um, I haven't really stuck with it though, because uh, using it in the Ram mount in my car is kind of goofy. You got to fold it back and it's not really working for me. And then we heard from the people over at Wally Case. A, a listener wrote in and said, you guys need to, I think they tweeted us and said, you guys need to look at Wally Case. So Wally sent me one as well. And you got one too, right? Yeah, I got one. And um, I've been, I've used it. And I like the Wally Case. They they make a couple of different versions. They make actually. Yeah, explain it. Yeah. They they make an actual case. So you can, you can have a case and it's kind of a, um, I would call it like a rubbery case that then has like a leather wallet pocket on it, or you can get just the leather wallet pocket that will stick on either to your phone or to your existing case. So depending on what you need, you can, you can get what you need, but I, I got the actual case. So it, I had this rubbery case with the leather wallet pocket and I really liked it because t- to me, two cards was not enough. Um, I mean, when I go as minimal as I can, I mean, as absolute minimal as I can, I got to have four cards. I got to have a debit card, a credit card, my driver's license, and my insurance card. I, I just can't get it down any thinner than that. Um, and what I liked about the Wally is it could it could fit four cards. Um, and it was still thin. It was still pocketable. I mean, it has that little hump on the back because you've got the cards in it. But I could still slip it in my pocket just fine. I could still slip it in my purse. And it was it was really functional. And it has this little tabby thing that you you can pull to to pull your cards out. It's like a ribbon. So you yeah. pull on the ribbon and it pulls the cards out. I, I I got the one that's not a case. It's it's an adhesive piece of like firm leather with the slot in it to hold about four cards. And it just sticks to the back of the phone. So it really is like sticking a pocket on the back of the phone. It doesn't get in the way of the camera. I, there's a lot I really like about it. I put it on about three weeks ago and it's still on. I haven't taken it off yet. I don't know if I'll end up sticking with it forever. But um, and like when I use when I put my phone in my um in my car and the mount, it it fits just fine. And it, it offers no protection around the edges. If you're looking for protection, this is not the the case you're looking for. Well, but the case does. It protects the back of it. Yeah, but the case does offer protection around the corners. Uh, not the one that sticks on. Not yeah, but the one I have. Yeah, but the one I'm saying they have two versions. They have the yes. stick on, and then they have the case. Yeah, okay. The one I have does not offer protections around the corners, but it's just what I was kind of looking for. Something light, and it allows me not to have to carry my wallet. So now I carry a key and my phone, and I'm pretty much good. And and my Fitbit, of course. 
at least for another month or two. Until you get an Apple Watch. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I'm still using it. I'm going to write them up once I have kind of a more I- better idea. And also, since we talked about this last, 12 South came out with the book book for iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. And that's like a little book. It actually has a spine on it. looks like kind of an old book. And it's it's very clever design. And the way the phone works in that, they the phone goes into kind of a um, a hard case about the size of an Apple case. And then that that slides into the book book. So if you were going to be putting it in your car or whatever, you could actually take the phone out of the book book case and then just carry it that way as well. So it's kind of two in one. Uh, we'll put a link in. You have to go check it out. But those in my mind are the three uh, best options. If you're looking for something like that, like a wallet slash phone case. Yeah. And, and there are a d- dozens of different wallet type cases. I mean, heck just, just go on Amazon and search iPhone wallet case, and, and you'll see many, many different options. I was pretty happy with the Wally. Personally, I like the case model better than the stick-on model because I want a little more protection. I want a little something around the edges. I like to be able to grip it. Um, for me, the wallet case probably won't be my everyday case just because I really, really like the iPhone leather case. But I think it's going to be my go-to case for when I travel um, and maybe even like for the weekends when I don't want to carry a purse. So, okay. So I think I think it's definitely a case that I'm going to use a lot. Hey, I want to start talking about some more of this stuff, uh, especially maybe applications. It's about time, right? Um, do you want to do an ad spot first? Application like uh, like how to like tips and getting this stuff done. No, the the whole section, the outline here about money management apps. Oh, money management apps. That's like the third rail. We're an, we're an hour in. That's like the third <laughs> rail for Mac Power users. <laughs> No, it's not. Today, we're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about it. All right. Well, Today's before, the day. Before we do, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite applications. Uh, and, and we've talked about it a little bit on the show. It's very appropriate for the show. Um, and that is our good friends over at 1Password. Uh, and, you know, if if I could give you one tip for managing your finances online better, it would be that you need to create strong, unique passwords to use across all of your various devices. And in my opinion, there's no better way to do that and no better way to manage those passwords than to use one password. Because if you've got a platform, they've got an app for that. They've got an app for the Mac. They've got an app for the PC. They've got an app for the iPhone, the iPad. They've even got apps for Android and Windows devices. So all of these things are going to stay in sync. If you're on the iOS and Mac platform, you can sync up with the Dropbox and they use the new CloudKit technology. Uh, any other platforms, or if you just prefer, you can use Dropbox to sync. So no matter where you are, you're going to have access to all of your passwords. All of that information is going to stay in sync. Not only will it store your passwords, but it will also store things like David was talking about, like credit card entries, including attachments. So you can scan in and put p- pictures of your your various credit cards and loyalty cards and insurance cards and AAA cards and, and all of those other things. Um, it will also store information about logons for ver- logins for your various sites because that's primarily what it's designed for. And here's a tip. You know, one of the things that I do is I've got a bunch of sites online and I try not to store my passwords with them. But some sites online, you do end up storing your passwords or excuse me, I try not to store my credit card information with them. But some sites you do end up storing credit card information with either because they require it or because it's convenient. Uh, And this tip actually came from listener David, Uh, not you, but another listener, David. 
in in one password you have the ability to create tags in one password and you can use those for any reason but here's a great way you know so if you say you've got an amazon account most of us do and david creates tags based on the last four digits of his credit card number which you know probably changes every time you get a new credit card and so david tags his various accounts based on the credit card that's associated with them so if his amazon account uses the credit card whose last four digits is 5555 then that amazon account is going to get a tag 5555 and he does that with all of the various accounts that he has associated with that particular credit card so david knows that if that particular credit card is compromised all he has to do is go into one password choose the tag that corresponds with that particular credit card and he knows all of the sites that have to be changed um, and he can go in and change them so he doesn't have the problem like you had recently where Squarespace denies his payment because the credit card's no good anymore. Saves you a lot of embarrassment and hassle. Well, now I have an opportunity to do that yeah. again. <laughs> but yeah, you can set up the system and then when you get a new tag, a new card, you just change your tag and change all the sites associated with it. Um, so 1Password can do all of that and a whole lot more. You can find out more information about 1Password at their website at onepassword.com. And uh, thanks to 1Password for their support of the show. Money management apps. Oh, dun, dun, dun. The um so Quicken is the is the one that started this whole game years ago. I mean Quicken I think was the first real money management app out there. And this goes back years and years. Um uh but Quicken has always had this kind of weird or into it, the company behind Quicken. It seems like they've always had this kind of passive aggressive stance towards the Macs or and, well, or and the- users have definitely had a passive aggressive stance with them. Yeah, and, and you know, it's probably not fair. It's probably just, you know, that's engineering oh, resources. No, I think it's fair. I, I, I'm sure that they only have so many engineering resources and, and the Mac isn't high on their list, but it's always felt kind of like the ugly stepsister or whatever the phrase is in, in comparison to the PC version. And over the years, they've had varying degrees of focus on it, but it's just such an important application and so many people use it and so many banks connect with it that it, it's something that is always in play. And like, as we record the show now, Quicken has version 2015, Quicken 2015 out, which does have a Mac version. Um, I actually looked kind of frantically last night because there's now Quicken and QuickBooks 2015 for Mac. And there aren't many online reviews of it, and I haven't used either one. Did you find anything um, recommending or not recommending them? Yeah, people who have the complaints about Quicken have the same complaints about Quicken that they've always had. You know, too little, too late, overpriced for what it does, and doesn't have nearly as good Mac support as it does on the PC support. Yeah. And I don't know. I would assume that's probably true with the most recent version as well. I know like QuickBooks is if you run a business, it's a big deal. Accountants love QuickBooks. That's their bread and butter. And they always want your data in QuickBooks formats so much so that I know Mac only shops that have a PC in the corner that does nothing but run QuickBooks um, or, you know, a, a portion on their Mac or whatever. But the, um, uh, the uh, but QuickBooks does exist on the Mac, but it's always been really terrible. The last time I looked at it seriously was when I was writing the Mac at Work book a few years ago. And at that time, in order to share data over to the PC side, it wasn't a compatible file format. You had to convert it into a different format just to, to share it with QuickBooks on the PC. 
And then you had to do all these, you know, digital calisthenics to get it back into your Mac later. So, you know, working with your accountant was going to be misery. So I don't know. I, I guess I feel like I'm letting the listeners down a little bit in terms of Quicken because I have not actually stuck my neck out there and installed it on my computer and played with it. But they have a new version out. And if you like Quicken, uh, let us know. You know, write in, send in an audio comment or whatever. But I don't really feel in the spot to particularly recommend it based on the history of the way uh, Intuit and the Mac have not really gone together very well. Yeah, but I need to say a couple of things because Quicken, for better or for worse, is the standard. Um, I use Quicken Essentials, which has now been end of life. And I've been using it for several years now. I I think since it released, I think... um, it launched at one of the Macworld Expos years and years and years ago. I remember you and I sitting in and getting some kind of demo of it. And yeah. I've been using it ever since. And I continue to use it. And I use it for a couple of reasons. Um, I didn't know that. I do. Okay. I do. Well, tell us about it, Katie Floyd. Yeah, well, and keep in mind, I'm telling you about a quick and essentials, which is, again, end of life and, and probably will stop working for me at any moment now. But my my finance needs at this point are are very simple. All I want to do is basically download my registers. You know, I want to be able to download from my bank, which I bank at pretty major institutions. I want to be able to download my my credit card registers. You know, I want to be able to manage my balances. I want to be able to reconcile. I, I want to be able to do some budgeting and forecasting and seeing where my money is going. Um, I want to be able to input expenses so I know that if I'm going to pay my mortgage on the 15th of the month that, you know, how that's going to affect my balance and, and where things are going to be on that day. Uh, you know, just... Basic things, I mean, really very basic things that you could honestly do with a, a spreadsheet. I am not using this program even to its capacity, which is which is pretty basic. It's it's just a glorified checkbook register, um, and it does it pretty well. and And the thing that Quicken has always done very very well is interface with with banks. I mean, banks and financial institutions speak Quicken's language, and when it works. <laughs> Um, it, it, you know, I, I typed in my banking information. This is my bank. This is my account number. This is my password. And, and it goes to the banks and it downloads the data. And while there are occasional hiccups, by and large, that has not been a problem. And that ability to automatically download the data because banks speak into it and they, they use those formats has been a problem for some of these other apps that we're going to talk about later. So that's the one nod that I do have to give to Quicken. And, and you'll see that with Mint and some of these other things is that they have got deals set up with this bank, these banks. And in some cases, exclusive deals that, that hurt out some of this other competition where without paying any subscription fee, without paying a monthly access charge, without paying anything to my bank or to Quicken, I, I can download all of my transactions, click a button as many times as I want a month. Maybe every weekend is typically when I sit down and do it uh, and sync up and reconcile my register. So are you not interested in Quicken 2015 since you're using Quicken Essentials now? Right now, because Quicken Essentials continues to work, I see no reason to upgrade. But there will come a day when yeah. Quicken Essentials will stop working. And it sounds to me like the, at that point, the natural move for you would be to go to their next product. Likely, right? likely. Although as I sit here and look at Quicken 2015 on the Mac App Store, it, it's got pretty overwhelmingly negative reviews. Um, although it looks pretty comparable feature-wise to, to Quicken Essentials. How much is it? Just out of curiosity. Uh, 75 bucks. Yeah. You know, it's, these what these apps do, I mean, it was really impressive. 
I remember a friend of mine, the first time I saw Quicken was running on a PC, a friend of mine, and, you know, he had his whole checkbook in there and he was, you know, everything categorized and it's exactly what computers were for in the eighties. You know, it's like, wow, what a great idea. But now when you think about it in terms of the amount of computing power on the, you know, the cheapest, lowest in line Mac you can buy today, this is really nothing for it. Um, yeah. And, and honestly, I haven't moved beyond that functionality for my needs. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we've been hesitant to do this show, because neither one of us are uh, gazillionaires and need to manage big, you know, uh, financial fortunes. Right. You know? right. We were balancing the checkbook, making sure there's money in the college fund, you know, just like everybody else. We're getting by. And um, and and Quicken, as much as we kind of pan it at the beginning, it sounds like it's solving a problem for you. It's doing what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's and not- you know, at the at the end of the year, when I go to do my taxes, it has pretty reasonable search functionality. So as long as everything is categorized reasonably well, you know, I can go in and pull out what I need to pull out. What's the interface like? I mean, the last time I looked at Quicken Seriously on the Mac, it felt really kind of clunky to me. It's the same. Okay. It's the same interface you saw in the 80s, although it's a little yeah. prettier. Like even like the graphics, like they look like clip art. It was just like. It's like they just mailed that part in, the user interface. Oh, it's a little prettier than Clipart, but not yeah. much. Uh, and then there's QuickBooks, which I, I've mentioned briefly, and that's kind of a whole separate subject. But I know a lot of people very passionate, feel very passionately about it. I don't think I've ever met anybody that was really excited about using QuickBooks for the Mac. Most people that actually need QuickBooks to work for them don't do that. I feel like Intuit's real angle, and I want to come back to the online services, but I'm just going to tease it right now. I think Intuit's angle for QuickBooks and Quicken really is, is taking them online eventually that rather than having a Mac team and a PC team. And, and frankly, you know, those platforms are going away to a certain extent that they, they want to have a great online resource. So whether you're logging in with an iPad or a Mac or a PC or an Android or a Windows phone or whatever, um, you're, you're able to use their products and services. And I think they're also very interested in getting everybody on that subscription model. Um, let's talk about uh, applications. Um, well, let's stay on the topic of applications as opposed to online services, though. And I think iBank is the next one that we would want to talk about. Yeah, I actually last year, I looked at moving from Quicken to iBank. And I think I looked at this when version five of iBank came out. And um, I tried it, tried it for a month or so. And I'll tell you, in in pretty much every way possible, iBank was just as good, if not better than Quicken. So I certainly have no complaints about iBank. Um, in fact, if you go to iBank's website, they'll give you, um, you know, comparisons as to how iBank and, and Quicken Essentials and Quicken 2005 stack up. Now, obviously, take those with a grain of salt because iBank is, you know, marketing their product to you versus Quicken's product. So you're not going to see any apps that Quicken or any features that Quicken has that iBank doesn't. But it, it does still show you that that iBank is is very full featured. It, you know, you can run a register, which is basically all I was using Quicken to do. Um, you can run multiple types of reports. You can print checks if that's something that you can need to do. You can um, manage financial accounts, which is something that I don't do, but was something that Quicken Essentials didn't have the ability to do. Uh, and then also nice was that um, iBank had both iPhone and iPad apps available, which is nice if you want to be able to to enter transactions. So I found for, again, my uses, which were very minimal, iBank to be very comparable uh, to Quicken, although it was a much more comparable feature-wise. And again, I was only using a very limited feature set, but it was 
a pleasure to use, whereas Quicken was just kind of, yeah, it's Quicken, it's it's here. Um, it was clearly made by Mac developers and, and Mac designers. They they clearly sweated the details. Um, and and so it was nice. But I, ultimately, I, I couldn't switch to it. And it was the, the problem that I, I, I could have, I could have, but it would have cost me more money um, because my bank didn't didn't support downloading to iBank. And so what I would have had to do with my bank is I would have either had to go to every bank and every account that I had and manually download the transactions, which would have been, you know, going to a bank and downloading something from this date range to this date range and manually importing them. And I just... And, and hoping you don't duplicate and, right, you know, right. all the other problems that come with that. And, you know, with Quicken, all you did is you hit a button that said sync and you were done. Um, and I just wasn't going to do that. Um, or I could pay my bank, I think it was a $5 a month fee for something called, I, I don't even remember, but all banks call it something different. But whatever it was that I needed to make the sync magic work, which, um, you know, the bank made me pay if I wanted to work with iBank, but, you know, Quicken, uh, I actually talked to the iBank's folk about this. They said, you know, Quicken has a deal with the bank, so Quicken can do this, but we can't, we have to pay for it. Um, or I could pay a $40 annual fee to iBank for their direct access service, which would have given me that sync feature. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's not iBank's fault that, you know, Quicken has the financial market cornered in this respect. $40 is certain a very reasonable fee. And I don't think they're making a lot of money out of, off of that. I, if any, you know, they're, they're making their sales off of the purchase of their app. They, they're having to pay this, this fee to get access to the accounts. But unfortunately, as an end user, it was one of those things where on top of paying for the iBank application, I was now having to pay a $40 annual fee for something that was essentially built into Quicken. Yeah, I met the iBank guy. That, you know, there's there's actually a single developer who's the, the main Scott? person. Be, I don't remember Scott, his name. Scott, I think, the marketing guy. Uh, I think I met the programmer at, at Macworld. Boy, I'm sure I'm going to miss Macworld. You know, we're coming up on the time of the year where I'm usually getting itchy for it and all the, you know, friends we've made in the software development community at Macworld. But so anyway, I met him at Macworld years ago and I bought his application right there because he was telling me about it. And it was at a time where I was in Quicken and I just was tired of how, how bad it looked. And, you know, just, I felt like this, you know, this company really didn't care about Mac users that much. And I used it for several years and I was very happy with it, but I eventually went into an online service, which I'll talk about in a minute, but um, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think it's a, it's a better application. It is going to cost you a little bit if you need to, to automatically sync. And I'll tell um, you the the reviews for iBank are uniformly positive. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I think I probably, if I wanted a software application like that, I think I would probably use iBank over Quicken. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, and, but we've heard from some listeners as well that have applications that they're very invested in. I just like how I did that. I did. Um, yeah. Um, so one of them is MoneyWell. And we've, we've had many listeners write in saying that's the app for them. And MoneyWell has got versions on both the iPad and the Mac. Um, it's a personal finance software as well. Um, and they use the envelope budgeting system, which, uh, is kind of a different paradigm, but maybe that's, you know, something we should check out. Yeah. I knew that, um, we, we talked about, you need a budget, but uh, skip talked about it on his show. Uh, and then Carlos wrote in about, or I think called in 
what, whatever we're going to call it, submitted an audio comment about it uh, yeah. more extensively on our last Mac Powered Users live show. Um, and you need a budget. I didn't know money well to this, but you need a budget does have a strong focus on the envelope system. The idea of allocating what you earned last month to what you're going to budget for this month. Uh, and you need a budget is not just a budgeting app and a money management app, but it also has a pretty strong educational component. Um, and as a result of this, and I'm not sure if this is a cop out or if it's, you know, really that they, they feel this strongly about this philosophy, they don't have any ability to direct sync transactions. Um, and they say that their reasoning behind that is they want you to manually enter all your transactions because they want you to feel that, um, because they want you to allocate that money and figure out where it goes. Because again, it's very big on teaching you to budget and being very cognizant of where your transactions are. And there's, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a point to that because I admit, you know, I go into quick and essentials and I hit the sync button. I'll be like, we still good. All right, we're good. You know, wait, wait, wait until you have a spouse and two children and you see what happens when you push that button. <laughs> the, um, yeah. So this is an interesting idea and uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in them. I, I haven't given either one of them a big try, but I think the two big winners here are money. Well, and Y and a B you need a budget. If you're looking at this, I mean, just going through online and, and researching for the show, there's some very passionate users of both applications. And, and in fact, there's comparisons and people kind of going back, you know, like all those Mac geeks, we can't help ourselves when we get invested in an application, we take it on. Right. Um, but they both use essentially the same philosophy and then I think it's it's partly user interface. It doesn't seem like there's any stability problem with either one. But if you're going to look at those two, and if somebody out there has used them both, please let us know what your your thoughts are, because I'd, I'd be curious to hear from someone who's put two or three months into each application and come back with one or the other. Yeah. Uh, and then but those, those two applications are very popular. Yeah. Uh, and then a third is Money Dance that has been recommended by several listeners. Yeah. Um, and, and again, especially some of these we've we've glossed over very quickly, um, mainly mainly because, you know, we can really only talk about what we have direct experience with. And I know, David, you're going to talk about some of the online solutions in a minute. Um, so this is an area where I especially would like to get some feedback from the listeners. Um, talk to us about your app of choice and why you use it. And this is really prime for an audio comment or two. So um, send in your audio comments. You can email those to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Try to keep them under two minutes. Send them to us in like an MP3 format or something uh, that's that's fairly compressed and small in size. And uh, we'll we'll try to sift through those and and put the best ones that we can on on each of these solutions in the show. But give us some examples of what do you use, why do you use, and you know basically why do why do you use it? What are the what are the main features that that keep you using that? We um so then you know so there the traditional applications quick and iBank they're all software based they're on your your app Mac they're an application that you run and increasingly over the last I'd say two or three years we've had the these applications that are online money management uh, taking place. The big one was Mint, which was eventually acquired by Intuit, the same people that own Quicken. And so with the way Mint works is you put in your bank accounts, uh, your credit cards and all of this stuff, and it tracks all this for, they link to the banks and you go to a website and you type in your credential and you see all that stuff for you. Um, they, they don't charge you a fee, but they do, you know, try and sell you services. Like they'll say, Hey, you've got X dollars in your IRA and you haven't really done anything with it. Here's some good ideas. Or, Hey, you paid X dollars on credit card interest. Here's some offers for better credit card interest deals. And so there's some marketing going on there. 
but generally it's an online-based financial management. And uh, s- several years ago, I made passing remark on this show that I, I started using Mint. And um, then at Macworld, a month or two later, I was in a, at a party and some lady pushed me against the wall, you know, and hey, you know, I never thought that was going to happen to me, right? And it turns out she was a CPA and I think she wanted to beat me up for saying use Mint. Um, but that's not, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are are very leery of online services. And here's, you know, Max Sparky, the guy who's saying, be careful using all this Google stuff, putting all your stuff out there. And by the way, I'm managing my money online. <laughs> you know, So I, I don't know if it's a mistake or not, but I switched over to Mint years ago and it's worked out kind of well for our family because uh, my wife and I can both log in. We can keep track of things that are going on. They do a pretty good job of managing it. The notifications are appropriate, but not overly um intrusive maybe that's why i've had five credit cards katie floyd maybe it's because mm-hmm. i've been using mint i don't yeah. know but, but either way you know we've we've not had any fraud uh perpetrated against our mint account um it's generally worked well occasionally it loses the connection to something for one reason or another and usually clicking in there helps it i mean one of our accounts as a credit union. And sometimes, you know, the smaller banks have trouble keeping those connections going. Um, but it's, it's worked, but it hasn't really been really that exciting to me either. So recently, um, I've been trying out one of their competitors is personal capital, which is a little, it's kind of like a step up over mint where, you know, they help you manage your, you, like your retirement funds. And there's, I guess, financial advisors available to you. And I've just started using that, you know, just as we started getting serious about the show, I started playing with this. So I have an account and I'm, you know, turning the knobs and, and playing with it. I don't have as much experience with it as Mint, obviously, but it looks to me like it's it's more intensive for like personal money management in terms of uh, giving you more control and giving you more access to professional advisors than Mint does. Um, it kind of feels like a step up a little bit. But and I like their app. I like the the way everything looks. Uh, I'm not going to recommend one or the other, except at this point to say these are both services worth looking into if you're interested in taking all this stuff online. Cool. Well, and and I think that's where it's going, and that's certainly where the banks want you to take it is is online. Uh, yeah. And keep in mind that if you use any, even if you're using a dedicated apps and you're using one of these sync services, I mean, Quicken's got my info because yeah. they've got to use that sync. And even if you're not using it, this is what kind of led me to Mint anyways, thinking, well, the bank information is still online. I guess what it I'm is. doing with Mint is I'm, but I'm putting someone else in the middle. I understand why um, that listener was upset with me for recommending Mint because it, it really is giving another person access to your data. Oh. But, you know, if you're using Quicken, doesn't Intuit? in yeah. essence, have access to that as well. They do, because you've got to give them the information to log in so they can download your, your transactions. Yeah. 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 Well, and this, see, this is why, Katie, it's been so hard to get the show made, because neither one of us want to put our neck out too far on this stuff. I don't want to tell somebody to use Mint and then hear from someone how they lost thousands of dollars because Mint screwed them over, you know, and I'm definitely not, you know, putting my seal of endorsement on this app service, but it's something that I've been using for years now, and we haven't had a significant problem. We haven't had any problem, really. Yeah, but then you say that you've had 12 credit cards in the past year, so, you know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Every time I look, it's another one. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, but personal capital also, I think, is kind of interesting, because I like the fact that they're an up-and-comer, and sometimes those companies are more innovative. So, we'll see. 
uh, let us know. If, let us know if you've got something better or if we missed something on your favorite money management application. Yeah. Okay, well, we're we're starting to run a little long here, so why don't we take a quick break and then maybe wrap up with uh, a couple of our quick tips, uh, final tips for for keeping your data safe online. Yeah, totally. And um, uh, our last sponsor today is Text Expander. I love me that Text Expander. So it's the application that solves the big problem for you of repeated bits of text. Uh, no matter what it is you're doing, you're going to find that you're writing things over and over again. And Text Expander allows you to type just a few simple keystrokes and it fills it in for you. And it's from our friends over at Smile Software, some of our favorite Mac and iOS app developers. Uh, they continue to make Text Expander better and it continues to be the best in breed. Uh, one of the examples I would like to talk about today is the uh, email responses. Because I am essentially running this publishing business on the side, I get a lot of emails from people that involve uh, questions about a book they purchased. It may be something where I, you know iTunes isn't downloading correctly, or there may have been some problem uh, with their credit card or whatever. So I've got all these great little snippets that I can use when it happens. And I can just type in a few letters and it prepares a nice thorough response for them and it gets it out very quickly. So my customers get an answer very quickly. I get to fully explain myself without having to spend hours and hours at the keyboard. Uh, with the advanced snippets and text expander, you can even do fill-ins. So I could say, I'm sorry, you're having trouble with, and I can have it choose between the various books that I've got. Uh, they've got drop-down menus. You can insert the contents of the clipboard or even move the cursor with these advanced snippets. And text expander does all of this very easily. I've done several screencasts on it, so I'd uh, recommend you go over to maxparky.com and there's a website maxparky.com slash te snippets and you can download my snippets you can see how i do them um but you know if you're out there and you're not somebody who learned Perl or somebody who's a programmer or somebody who's super geeky but but you're just somebody who wants to get better at stuff text expander is an excellent starting point for automating your mac because it's really easy to figure out and once you do it you're going to find all sorts of uses for it now, Text Expander doesn't just exist on the Mac. They also have a version for iOS, and they sync all your snippets over via Dropbox. So it makes it really easy to take those big snippets you wrote on your Mac and use them on iOS. And and just for example, going back to that book example, uh, I was at a um, I was sitting at uh, Disneyland where my wife and kids were doing something and I wanted to take a break. I pulled out my iPad and I started answering emails to, to, uh, to customers. And I was able to use the text expander iOS keyboard because they have a keyboard on iOS that allows me to access all of those snippets right in Apple's mail application. You're like, what? You can do that in Apple mail? Well, yes, you can because a text expander made a keyboard for you. So all this stuff works seamlessly. And if you just think about anything you write repeatedly, you need to stop right now and get yourself a copy of Text Expander. We've been talking about this app for years, and I'm sure there's some people out there that haven't tried it yet. My recommendation, please go try it. You will end up buying it because it really solves the problem. They've got a free trial available at smilesoftware.com, so you can go check it out and um, start saving yourself some time today. Thanks, Smile. All right, so we'll do this kind of uh, rapid fire. Uh, any quick tips for, for keeping your data safe online? I've already announced my big one, which is, you know, use strong, unique passwords across all your site, whether you use 1Password, whether you use LastPass, whether you use Apple Keychains. It's just something you have absolutely positively got to do. 
Yeah. And, you know, there's also a lot of people when they start collecting data about you, uh, whenever you set up a new account, I think you need to be very present as you're going through those those checkboxes as you're setting up a new account, because it's really easy to say, go ahead and save my credit card information. I mean, why are you doing that? Because these vendors have already proven you know, that, that they can't be trusted. And I don't mean that they're out there maliciously trying to share your data, but there's just so many people trying to break into those accounts that it seems to me almost inevitable that there's going to be data breaches. So um, when you're signing up for accounts, look for those check boxes. Don't know, don't just forget to uncheck the box that says email me every time you feel like talking about your product. That's a whole nother subject, but also uncheck the box that says, let us save your account information. Um, I don't even like, you know, like Apple, when you buy stuff through Apple, I don't let them save my credit card uh, on the Apple merchant thing. I mean, why should they? I've got one password. It fills in credit cards for me. Um, so that's another, I think, quick tip when you're doing online stuff. Um, and, you know, we talked about one of the big benefits of Apple Pay uh, is that it generates unique credit card numbers for you. And until Apple Pay is available everywhere, which it probably won't be for a while, um, it, at least online, uh, many banks and many credit card companies offer this av- availability, this ability to use disposable credit card numbers. And they all have different names for it because they all ban- brand it something different. I think Bank of America calls it ShopSafe or, or something like that. Um, but many of them have this option, and, and you should check it out, where it will generate a disposable credit card number for you. And you can either use it for a one-time purchase, or you can create a card for use at a specific merchant and put a limit on it. And so I used to do this uh, with iTunes. I would create a card and put a $500 a year limit on it, and it would expire after a year, and it was only good uh, for iTunes. So those are things you can consider doing. Another thing is two-factor authentication. It's a real thing now. I mean, we've talked about it in the past when it's been kind of more theoretical, but now for a lot of your more important online accounts like PayPal or iTunes or Google, you can get set up this two-factor authentication. So if somebody does try and hack your account, a lot of times that throws up a brick wall. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I personally have done, uh, I have I, I try to limit my number of credit cards. I just don't like using credit cards, but they've become, at least for me, a necessary evil. I know Dave Ramsey would hate that. But um, I, I use my debit card whenever possible. I just I'm very nervous about that number getting compromised. So I have um, two credit cards in addition to my debit card. Uh, one that I keep in my wallet and that I use when I'm out and about. And so for places around town and things like that. And then I have one credit card that I keep in a drawer at, at my home, um, and that card I use only for online purchases. So it offers me a couple of different options for protection. Number one, um, if if my physical credit card gets compromised, the one that I keep in my wallet, um, I, I have a backup, you know, because it may take me a while to, to get a new credit card issued. Usually it's just a couple of days, but I know that I have another backup. Or if my wallet gets lost, I have another credit card at home. I'm not going to be completely without a credit card. Um, you, and, you know, that's a good, I should probably get a second card. I mean, today's like a final straw for me. Yeah. I mean, it's just the card that I keep in my drawer, but because yeah. I, I don't want to keep a card in my drawer that's completely inactive. Um, what I've decided to do is I use that for my online purchases. So if, if that card gets breached, then I know, okay, this happened online. Who, who is that card been used with? You know, yeah, so that's, that's the card that I use for Amazon or that's the card that I use direct billing for my, you know for whatever, you know, for my cloak account or whatever comes off of it. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. 
Um, you've got a note in here about identity theft insurance. I've never bought that. What, what does that cost? Um, you know, it, it depends. You know, you may want to check and see if you already have it. Um, I, I bought mine through a company called Xander Insurance. And the reason I bought it through them is because they have this deal where, I mean, generally you're not, and, and people are going to write in and say this is a bad idea. And I probably overbuy insurance. I, I acknowledge that. I mean, you are not responsible for someone who fraudulently uses your identity. And so, you know, if you go out and, and you, and someone uses your identity, then Yes, you can you can get all those charges taken off and you can do all the cleanup. But what I am insuring is I'm insur- I'm insuring my time, not so much the lost money. Um, and because what Xander does is not only will will they you know insure you from loss, but they'll they'll also assign you someone who will take care of the cleanup. And to me, that's almost worth more than um, insuring for the loss. And so the, the you asked me what it costs. I think it costs me 75 bucks a year for an individual, but it costs a lot less if you're on a family plan and you want to put your whole family on it. The, um, you know, I read somewhere that attorneys are like the most insured people ever. Like insurance mm-hmm. doesn't surprise people, me. They, they just love it when you say you're a lawyer, like, oh, great. This guy's going to be an easy touch because we always see, you know, when the excrement hits the spinning blade and, it's uh, it's really easy for us to imagine ourselves in these spots and we just keep buying insurance. Um, but either way, um, well, there you have it. We did managing digital finances. I'll be curious to see where this all lays in a year or two, because I think Apple Pay, currency, all this stuff is was really in motion now, whereas in a year it may be more settled. And uh, I think that the, the trend towards online uh, financial management is going to only grow. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Intuit bought Mint. Sure. And we've got links to a lot of stuff that we talked about. You can find those in our show notes at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, you can send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And you can also get us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. And I'm at Max Sparky. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And we will see you all next time.